want you to grab your copy of God's Word this morning and, uh, and open it with me to the Gospel of John. John's Gospel, chapter 4 this morning as we continue our study of the attributes of God. Last week, of course, we studied that God is triune. He's a personal God. He dwells in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And we can relate to Him because He is three persons. But today... Uh, We want to talk about God being spirit. We have to avoid confusion with that because some people see that and they think, yeah, he's the Holy Spirit. We're actually saying more than just he's one of the three persons of the Trinity. God is a spirit. He is not like you and not like me with a physical body. We have physical bodies. We are made of material. And, And yet God is not like us in this way. And It's difficult in some ways because we live in a material world. Everything that we see, you can touch, you can sense, you can feel, you can experience in those ways with the with our sensory organs. And yet God is not like that. He he is different, distinct from us. And he accommodates himself at times to reveal himself to us. But as he does that, he's helping your finite mind, my finite mind to understand who he is so we can trust him. And surrender to him. But when we say God is spirit, we're not talking about him being the Holy Spirit. We're talking about God being immaterial. God's spirituality spirituality teaches us this. He is immaterial. He is not made up of stuff like us. He is invisible. He, he's at work in the whole created order. And he works by the power of his spirit who is everywhere. We've already learned he's omnipresent. And so... If he was in some material, he would be located in one location, but he's not. He's spirit, and everything is open to his eyes. He sees everything, and so what he does is he is actually the one that enables us to have a relationship with him, to know him. He's the one that enables you and enables me to actually offer up worship that is pleasing to him this morning. And he's the one that empowers us to serve him, to not only know his will, but to do his will. When we say God is spirit, what we're saying is he is without a body. He is corporeal. He is without a body. Not like you and not like me. He is incorporeal. And so we recognize that. It's very important for us to realize it today. Because if we don't know God as he is, we will worship something that isn't God. And this is the danger. You and I, we become like the object that we worship. And God is a spirit. God the Father, he does not have a body like you and me. He dwells in unapproachable light. One day we're going to see that and we'll see him as he is. And we'll see him and we'll be able to see him because we'll be in glorified bodies. But he doesn't have a body like us. In fact, some will say, well, Jesus had a body, right? Yeah, he did. He added humanity to his deity. He, He didn't hold on to that position that he had with God. He existed in the form of God. That doesn't mean that it was the form of, a, of an image. It means that he was fully God. He didn't hold on to that position. But he emptied himself by adding humanity to his deity. He put on this flesh, but it veiled his deity from us. In fact, when he died on that cross in that body, he was paying the sins for you and for me that we've committed in our bodies. And, and he was resurrected with a glorified body, which is pretty amazing in and of itself because it's not like this body that I have, this flesh that I'm wearing today. It's not like the flesh you're wearing. His body was able to walk through a door and meet disciples when they had gathered in a room. What that's like, I don't know, but one day we're going to get one of those, Amen. 
Because Jesus has demonstrated that for us. And of course there's the, the Holy Spirit who if we read in the book of Genesis there in the first chapter was overall brooding over the waters. He was present in all of creation. In fact, you find him all throughout the pages of scripture in the Old Testament empowering judges to come and deliver God's people, the Spirit coming upon them. Inspiring prophets to bring a word to God's people that they needed to hear. Uh, sanctifying and redeeming people and enabling individuals to, to hear the message of God and for their eyes to be opened so that we could repent and place our faith and trust in Him. The Spirit is in the world, but we can't see Him. The Spirit is at work. He's here among us right now. God is here. And we need to recognize that. And that's very healthy as you're navigating life to realize God's everywhere. He's omnipresent. And how is He omnipresent? Because He's Spirit. He's infinite. He can't be limited in any way. And yet even though he is spirit, we know him personally. We have a relationship with the Father this morning through the work of the Spirit of God in our life, applying that sacrifice that Christ offered on our behalf and so that our hearts and minds are changed. And what this means is two simple things that are very important for us. God is not restrained in any way to any physical location, any physical substance, any created matter. He can't be. He's infinite. But even more so than that, he's immaterial because he made all the stuff. He's not limited to it like you and I are. Now, that's not to say that at times God hasn't come in some form or in a pillar of fire of cloud to lead his people and direct them. There's theophanies in the Old Testament where God appears in a body in some way to people. But, but God is spirit. And as such, that enables him to be in all places. And he's not visible. He's invisible. We see physical things with our physical eyes. But, but God is spirit. And to see him, we need eyes of faith. Because our physical eyes can't see him. This is really important because when you see and hear the, the commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, and when God says, you shall have no other gods before me, there's only one God. And, and, and don't cut out idols with with that second commandment. Why? Why would we not cut out an idol of him? Well, because he can't be limited to that location, to that substance, whether it's marble or gold or silver or stone or whatever physical matter you use. But more importantly than that, it's not just that he can't be limited to that. It's that you and I won't limit our understanding of who he is and what he is. Because, see, when we do that, we actually worship an idol and not God himself. And we have to be on guard against that. Sometimes it does say in scriptures that God uh, has hands or that he has eyes and he sees. He, he has ears that he hears. And uh, that in fact, uh, Moses, he says, Moses, I'm going to uh, let you see my back as I walk past you there on the mountain. But, but God does that. He speaks in what's called an anthropomorphism. That is the, the form of a man of some, or some part of the body. He does that to help us to understand him and to know him. For example, listen, if you're saved today, this is a wonderful truth that Jesus proclaimed. You and I are written on the palm of God's hand. We are in his hand. And Jesus says, no one can snatch us out of his hand. Now, does that mean God actually has a hand? No, the principle he's trying to teach us is we're secure in the hand of God. What a wonderful truth this morning, amen? To know that no matter what you and I might face, what circumstance we might face, what danger we might face, I can be safe and secure in His hand. But the Father is a spirit. 
is spirit. The, the, the Son is spirit. He put on humanity. The Holy Spirit is, is spirit. That's his essence. That is what God is made of. It's his essence. And this morning, Jesus is going to explain that to this woman at the well. And as he affirms that verse we've already quoted from John chapter 4, the implication of it is not just to merely know that God is spirit, but to see what the ramifications, what the implications of that are, and how that should affect your life and my life, because it affects us in our worship of him. How so? Well, that's why we're going to stand and we're going to read John chapter 4 and we're going to read this section. I'm going to dive halfway into the conversation he was having with her so that we can work through this and understand something about worship and worshiping to God who is spirit this morning so that you and I will offer up to God what really is worthy of his name, what's worthy of his identity, who he is, and it is worthy of his sacrifice that he has offered for us. So I want you to stand with me and honor the word of the Lord as we read John chapter 4 this morning. So God is spirit. What does that mean for you? You and for me. Well, that affects how we worship him this morning. Jesus says to the woman in the well, look down in verse 19. She actually responds to him and says to him, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Verse 20, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place where one ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when you will neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Will you pray with me this morning? Father in heaven, just as your son spoke to this woman and revealed he is the Messiah God, would you speak to us today? Would you give us ears to hear what your word is saying? For Lord, it will affect all of our lives in every way imaginable. At all times, wherever we find ourselves, Lord, as we have an opportunity to choose to be what you are seeking, to be an authentic worshiper of the one true God. And Lord, if we're worshiping someone or something else other than you today, convict us of that. Reveal that to us today, Lord, so that we can put away that idol or that false way of thinking about you. And we might embrace you, the one true God, and worship you aright. And thank you, Father, that you sought us when we weren't seeking you. And thank you, Father, that you opened our eyes to realize we needed to put our faith and trust in you. And Spirit of God, we recognize you're the one who wrought that salvation in us and brought it to us. And God, I praise you today that that salvation is for everyone who's before me, everyone who's listening online, everyone who's watching on on Facebook and on the Internet. God, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for someone to discover just how much you love them and they would worship you in spirit and in truth. We love you. We praise you and ask all of this in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We are familiar perhaps with this conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan 
woman. He went to, we've jumped midpoint into the, midway through the conversation, but in the context, when Jesus was traveling with his disciples and had to get back to the region of Galilee from Jerusalem, rather than taking the long way around to avoid the, the region of Samaria, Jesus says, no, I must go through Samaria. He had a purpose and a reason why he had to go through there. And it perhaps had to do with meeting this woman in the village near Sychar. And there, when he came to the well, his disciples went off to get some lunch because they were hungry and they needed to get some lunch for the master. And while they were gone, this woman came to the well and Jesus just struck up a conversation with her and asked her for some water as she dropped down her bucket and and the bucket and so she told him that, that you need to have your own bucket and and he said well you know if you had asked of me I would actually give you water that you'd never thirst again living water and she said oh I want some of that living water and he said well first go call your husband to which she said you know I don't have a husband and Jesus said that's right you've had five and the one you're with now isn't exactly your husband and it's when he says that instead of dealing with her sin she speaks to him and says, I perceive that you're a prophet. You know, let's talk about worship. Let's not talk about my sin. Let's talk about worship. And so in the midst of that, this is when Jesus reveals this truth that God is spirit. And he does reveal why that is significant for you and for me to understand for our worship each and every day. God desires that we authentically worship him, that we be genuine, that we worship him in spirit and in truth. Everybody worships something. You can travel the world and see that. Amen. Everybody worships some deity or some stuff or even their own selves. It's the truth. Man was made for worship. And so God desires that we worship the right one. The danger, of course, as Paul would tell the Romans in Romans chapter 1, is if you and I reject the worship of the one true God, then we will worship not the creator, but the created stuff. We'll believe the lie and we'll reject the truth. And as a result of that, we are opening ourselves up to all kinds of problems and all kinds of decadence and debauchery if we do that. We go to worship, though, and, and Jesus is explaining something about what true worship is, what it looks like. When we say worship, we're saying God is worthy of our attention. God is worthy of our affection. There is some weight that he possesses which says he is worthy of you and I coming before him and revering him. Worthy of declaring he's God and we're not. We're worthy of saying, God, I need to surrender and submit to you and bow not just my head in prayer, but bow my heart in recognition of your right place and my right place before you. And so we worship him and Jesus is teaching her and teaching us thereby about the significance of this because it impacts you and I in everyday life if we understand the lessons that he taught this woman. Now, when he defined worship, she talks about the worship that she has grown up with, that her fathers, this, the, the, the generations have passed down to her. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. We worship right here. In fact, you know, this is the right place of worship. And what is the right place of worship? Is the right place of worship in this church on Sunday morning? And, or is the right place of worship at a, at a camp meeting or is the right place of worship on a pontoon boat on, the, on, the, on, on a Sunday morning with a bass on the end of the line? 
Where is the right? Where can we worship God? Where is the right place? If God is spirit, is he limited to any one location for us to experience him, to worship him? And the answer, of course, is no. Uh, the woman says, we, our fathers have been in this location on this place. And by the way, it has to be the right place. Because when Father Abraham came into the land, this is where he built his first altar. This is where when Moses, or when Joshua led the people in, as Moses said, you're to divide the people into two, two, on these two mountains. And the priests are going to proclaim the law. And the, and the blessings are going to be announced. And the people are going to say, yay and amen on this mountain. And when the cursings are pronounced, the people over here on this mountain are going to say, yay and amen. Well, this is the mountain of blessing. We know we're in the right place. This is where we worship God. Jesus says, no, you've got it all wrong. Worship is not defined by a particular place. It's not this mountain. It's not that mountain in Jerusalem. There's going to be a time that's coming where you're going to realize when we worship the Father, it's not limited by any place. Why? Because God is spirit. You, you don't worship him in any physical location. Actually, the physical location where we worship him is right here. Listen, we just sang, hopefully you sang, there's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be silent. We shout out his praise. We worship him. Now, now is that because we're in this house of the Lord made of steel and concrete and, and here on Chipley Ford Road. And, and this is where the joy of the Lord is for worship today. Well, that should be true when we gather corporately, when we gather as one body. But in your body, individually, as you go through life, if God is spirit, then worship isn't limited to one place. Worship is wherever I find myself in that place. And this is what the father of faith, I believe, showed us. Abraham, everywhere that he went, what did he do? He built an altar. He worshipped God. That means where you go, listen, tomorrow morning, worship isn't limited to just this place at this time for this one hour. We, we, when you are a born-again believer, the Spirit of God, because God is Spirit, He dwells within us. And everywhere you go, you can worship God. That means, listen, you can go to office tomorrow and in your cubicle or on the factory line, you can worship God by the way you work. And you should worship God by the way you work, by doing everything with excellence because you don't work for that company, you work for the Lord. And the Lord is the one who rewards you. If you're on a tractor, you can worship the Lord in your tractor and you should and sing to the cows as you're passing by. Amen? By the way, God is concerned about the cows. Go read the end of Jonah, chapter 4. He is concerned about them. What that means, come have a cup of tea with me and we'll talk about it sometime. All right? Students, listen, I know you're not in school, but when you go back to school, when you go to your desk, you can worship God there in your desk in your school, and we need that as well. Loving God with all of your mind. Not accepting mediocrity, but striving to do your best with excellence for the Lord because He's worthy of that. You see, worship is the attitude of my heart. It's what takes place in here. This is the place that really matters. Not some physical location. Oh, I met God there. Oh, we had a big service there. Everybody got really excited and man, we really experienced him there. No, you should have that experience everywhere because God is spirit. He's not limited to any location to fall there. Now, there are times where his presence might be sensed in an amazing way. But the truth is, God is everywhere. 
He's omnipresent. He's that because he is spirit and because he's infinite. And so this has radical implications for my faith when I wake up in the morning, right? Or when I go home tonight. Wherever I rise and wherever I lie down, wherever I go through the way, the spirit of God is present and I can worship God and I should worship God. It's not limited to any one location or place. That's what she thought. Well, we're here and you're over there. She wasn't guided by truth. He says, woman, you, you, you worship what you don't know. You're ignorant. You don't realize the truth. And there's a lot of ignorance out there about the nature of worship. And what constitutes real worship. The real experience of the Spirit. By the way, read the Old Testament sometime. It's fascinating. Yeah, you know what? David got really excited worshiping God and bringing the ark into Jerusalem. Man, he was dancing and just excited. And, and his wife, when he got home, his wife said, Wow, the king really, did, really looked good today, didn't he? Hmm. Right? Or the, he really looked good out there before the people. But yet you see his son Solomon, when he stood in the temple that he had built, and he began worshiping God with his hands raised, by the end of his prayer, you know where he was? On his face before Almighty God, recognizing the awesomeness of who God is. Worship isn't, listen, we can't be ignorant in our worship of him. We have to realize that our perception sometimes is distorted because we have grown up and received traditions and, and rites and passages and says this is how worship must take place in this manner, in this place, in this way. And sometimes what we do is we focus more on those traditions than we do on the God that we say we're worshiping. And we need to be on guard against that. That's not what God is looking for. God is, uh, you know, this is defining what worship is and, and how we should worship Him. And there's a lot of worship that is offered up that actually isn't genuine. In fact, Jesus would warn that of the Pharisees as the prophets would do in the Old Testament. The prophets would say, listen, oh, that you, God said, oh, that you would close those doors and stop this trampling of my court. People draw near with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. I mean, they were in the presence of the, of the temple, and yet God says, they're, they're far from me. They're not close to me. That's why God being spirit is very important for you and I to realize, you know what? I need to keep a close and clean relationship with the Lord. And, and, and because I'm everywhere I go, I don't want my witness to betray that I'm not worshiping the one true God. This helped me to guard against idolatry in my own life that I don't put things before God, whether they're people or whether they're possessions, that I don't worship mammon, but I worship God. And my life should be a testimony of that everywhere that I live. Why? Because worship isn't limited to any one locale. And I'm not ignorant of where true worship is or who true worship belongs to. Jesus says, listen, you, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do. We know what we worship. Why? Because salvation is of the Jews. The one true God is the one who revealed himself to the Jewish people, to Father Abraham, who established that nation, who alone brings redemption, who alone promised that he would crush the serpent's head. That's the one that we should worship. That's where we should focus our energies, efforts, and loves and affections on. We should worship Him. We have to be on guard. Do you know what you realize? Listen, even this morning, right here in the sanctuary, it's easy to go through the motions. We got up, we got in the car, and we went to church. We went to Sunday school, and then we're going to go home. And by the time we get home, perhaps even by the time we're in the car, we've totally forgotten who God is. And we've stopped worshiping Him. I mean, we can even get to our tables and say the blessing, and then our conversation can act like we're as godless as who knows what. Right? Whew. 
preacher stepping on some toes, sorry. Stepped on my own this week. I, I got to plow a little close here, right? Because there's too many people who have this form of religion that's dead. Jesus would speak to the Pharisees and he'd call them what? You whitewashed tombs? You got all the religion, all the activity. You say the prayers. Everybody hears the prayers. You give the money so everybody goes, oh, look at that. You, you, you're there fasting so everybody can notice. And it's just a show. It's just a drama. There's nothing real in it. He says, you're just, like, you're just like a tomb with dead men's bones in it. This is what I want you to be on guard against. It's so easy in the Bible belt, right? Well, we've grown up that way. And it's almost like we can have a country club church. And I don't mean the country club church down there, you know, like a First Baptist, say, and, you know, or something like that. I used to be in one of them. That's not what I mean, country club church. You can have, a, you can have your little club in the country and be a country club church. Hello? That this is just the way grandma and grandpa have done it and we've done it and this is just the right thing to do. No, no, no. Do I have real faith? Do I have real worship in my heart? Do I recognize that this morning? God is spirit and they that worship him must worship him in a particular way. And if I'm ignorant of what worship is and what it looks like, then I might be needing today to have my heart renewed. I may need to have some truth penetrate my heart so I'm not ignorant any longer and I'm genuine and authentic. God desires that we be authentic and not ignorant. That we be truthful, that we know the truth. In fact, it's interesting that the psalmist would say it this way. God desires truth in the innermost being. God wants you and I to be real because you can't fool him. He also wants us to build our life on truth. And he speaks that truth so we can worship him. She was ignorant. She didn't know the truth. She was worshiping in the wrong location. God had prescribed and said, listen, you're to appear before me in Jerusalem. You're to come and worship with me there. But Jesus says, no, there's a time coming. There's a time when, when you won't worship on either mountain. Well, what is that? Well, you see, the time was coming when Jesus would offer himself as the sacrifice for the sins of the world. And that the promised one, the, not just he being the promised Messiah, but he promised that he would send one who would then encourage us, come alongside us. And he's the one that enables us to be saved. It's the Spirit of God who convicts us of our sin, of not believing in Jesus and, and puts our faith and trust in Him and His righteousness to redeem us and the one who empowers us to worship God in a way that is worthy of His name. In fact, sometimes do you realize when you and I can't even pray, it's the Spirit who intercedes for us with words that we can't even hear. Alaleos in the, in the Greek, you can't hear the words, but the Spirit is interceding for us because He knows the burden of our heart. You see, spiritual worship Jesus defines, and then he says, this is what God desires. The, the Father, notice this in verse 23, the hour is coming, and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Why? Because the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is seeking, God the Father is seeking those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. God desires that we worship Him authentically. God wants you and I to be these type of worshipers wherever we find ourselves. That's what He's after. That's why Jesus would say and, and orient the disciples time and time again, teaching them to pray and talking about the Father, because that's where we should be oriented to. I want to glorify the Father who has born me again, given me new life. 
and adopted me into his family. I do that because of the sacrifice his son has offered. He's my intercessor. He's my intermediary, the one that goes between us. And it's the spirit that enables me to even offer that worship up. Now, this is the amazing thing. None of us were seeking him. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's not one who seeks after God. But God sought after us. The Father sought you and sought me to worship him. In fact, when you stop and think about everything that he's done since the Garden of Eden, when Adam made that fateful mistake, when God had given him and prescribed to him his responsibilities, and the law, don't eat from that tree. You can enjoy every other one, but don't eat from that tree. In fact, your responsibility is to take care of this garden. Let that be your worship of me. If you read in the Hebrew, that's the picture. His care and obeying, obedience to the Lord and his commands there in the garden. Adam was worshiping God with all of his work and what he was doing, as you and I should too. That radically changes your outlook tomorrow at work and your boss. Don't say amen, Pastor Paul. Okay? It should radically change the way we live. Because my workplace is a place of worship. My, my home is a place of worship. And, and God's desiring that. He wants you to worship Him with all of your being, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. That's why, you know, Paul would say in the letter to the Corinthians, you know, you know is this acceptable for us to do? Well, can I glorify God for it? Can I glorify God in it? Can I give him praise and honor for who he is and what he's done? And the amazing thing is, even though Adam made that decision, God had a plan even before he made Adam. Even before he made all the matter. From the foundation of the world, Jesus was the lamb who was slain. God had a plan on the way that he would redeem us. And that all that would happen, he was well aware of what would happen. And yet he had a plan to bring forth redemption. And you stop and you think to yourself, wow, what an amazing God. That he would initiate all of that for you and for me. To be saved. In fact, it's amazing when you stop and think just the love that God has bestowed on us. That you and I are now called the children of God. That we have access to his throne room. That you and I aren't just his children. We're heirs and joint heirs because of what Christ has done. All the blessings and all the privileges that we have. Why wouldn't we worship him more frequently? Why wouldn't we seek him when we stop and think all that he's done? What can we really offer him for all that he's done for you and for me? Well, not much except for ourselves. That's really all he wants, Romans chapter 12, right? I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice. That you and I present ourselves each and every day as the sacrifices. We don't bring our sacrifices. We are recognizing that we need to die to self and find life in Christ. It's the fruit of lips, as Paul would say in Hebrews 13. The fruit of lips that say thank you. Why? Because God has blessed us. And I just want to say thank you, God, for all that you've done. God desires this worship in your heart and in my heart. And it's a worship that is in spirit. It's not bound to any physical location. It doesn't require any physical things. What it requires is eyes of faith and truth to see and to know what's right and to do it. And God is desiring that. Now, here's the amazing thing. Spiritual worship isn't just defined by a location and a time and, 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 and truth. It's not just desired by God. It's possible today. God made it possible for us to worship him authentically. We're prone and inclined to worship something. We've worshiped all the wrong things. And that's why we repented of our sins and placed our faith and trust in, in Jesus. But listen to what the woman says when Jesus reveals to, to her, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. The woman says, you know what? I know that Messiah is coming. He's called the Christ. Who's called the Christ? The Messiah. 
the Christos. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus says to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, because he came, spiritual worship is possible. Because he came and offered himself as the sacrifice, as the anointed one, the promised one that God said would come, who would take and crush the serpent's head, the one who would be the son of Abraham, the blessing for the whole world, the one who would be the long-awaited king of the seed of David, who would come, Christ will appear, Messiah will appear, he will tell us everything we will do. And here's what he tells us everything, ready? Repent and place your faith and trust in me. That's the message. That's what we need to do this morning. If you want spiritual worship to be possible in your life, it's through repentance and faith. It's recognizing that you and I cannot save ourselves. We are inclined to and have worship the wrong thing. And we need to repent and place our faith and trust in the Messiah, the one who's come for you and for me to save us. It was so impactful for her that when she heard that at that point, not only the disciples came and marveled, he talked with her. And, and, and he said, you know, why are you seeking? Why are you talking with her? The woman left her water pot and, and went into the city and, and said to all the men, come see a man who told me all the things I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Has he finally come? Yes, he's come. And he is the one who makes spiritual worship possible. Because he offered the sacrifice so that the alienation that we had from the Father, the separation that we had, now we've been reconciled. Praise God that he's made that bridge possible so that also now the Spirit can come and dwell within us. And that Spirit now enables you and I to worship him. But the question is, do I worship the Lord in spirit and in truth? You see, here's the danger. Listen carefully, because in the end times, Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, concerning this, ready? Know this, that in the end times, the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now listen, this is the scary phrase. Having a form of godliness but denying its power. In other words, there'll be a religious people that will be so corrupt on the inside, they won't even have the power of God to worship Him. Now, it's amazing in the Scriptures, there's two things that are powerful, and that is the power of the Spirit of God and also the power of God's truth. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's powerful. Truth is powerful. It can transform lives. And God takes that truth, the Spirit takes that truth, and he, he renews our minds, helping us to put off the old and put on the new. And the Spirit wants to do that in your life and my life, and I need a healthy dose of the Word for that to help and happen, and I need the Spirit of God to apply that truth in my life. But spiritual worship is possible. The danger in our day is it seems like, you know what, we're in perilous times. Because people can have the form of godliness, and there's no power within we can go through motions we can sit and sing songs we can offer up prayers but there's no power of God in my life and there's not a reason this morning for any of us if that's the case to continue in that way 
Jesus has done, made everything, has made everything possible for you and for me so that we don't have to live that way anymore. He told this woman, listen, I'm going to give you living water and it's going to bubble up out of your life. It's going to flow out of your life. Is that what's happening for you, with you today? Is your worship ignorant or is it guided by truth? Is it aware of who God is and what he's done? Is it a recognition that I'm a sinner and I need a savior and my faith rests in him? Or are you thinking, you know what? I'm just checking the block. I'm worshiping God for that one hour of the week there at the search. And that's it. No. If I know truth and if truth is transforming me, then my worship is guided by that truth. And it's guided and empowered by that spirit that dwells within me. That's why Jesus shed his, his, his life for you and for me. And through the veil of his flesh, now we enter into the presence of God. A sacrifice has sufficiently been paid. There's nothing you and I can do to save ourselves. There's nothing you and I can give God to save ourselves. It's what Christ has done and what Christ has done alone. The question is, are you trusting in him this morning? Is your life a reflection of a life that worships God in spirit and truth at the workplace tomorrow when you wake up? In your home? Students on the ball field? Even there? Wherever you find yourself, are you inclined, motivated to worship God with all of your being, with all of your affections, with all that you are? Or are you just going through the, the traditions that have been passed down? Beloved, jettison those things. Worship God for who he is and what he's done. And celebrate today that there is a God who is gracious and merciful and has done everything possible and is seeking you this morning so that you will worship him in spirit and in truth.